0: Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my wise kraken with some kind of mental disorder child hunting co-host, Alex Dandino. That's right, the final case that the pod has taken this month. Today we're talking The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. Uh, As always, if you like the show, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple podcast app that helps shows out uh, like us out enormously. And we appreciate it. Rate and review everywhere. Uh, Share the show with your friends on all your social medias. If you haven't found us yet, we're on every social media you're on, guys. Get at us. uh, Talk movies with us. Let us know what you'd like to cover. We have a lot of time now. We're planning on covering a lot of movies. So if you've got something, now's the time. Get it in, man. We want to hear from you. Yeah, and also, you can find us, if you want to hear uh, our voices and see our faces, you can follow us on YouTube. Our channel is called Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. Yes. All right, Alex. <laughs> so, we do have one announcement here briefly at the top of the show. As this month is ending and we're wrapping up the pod takes the case month, we have our next theme decided. Uh, the pod is held hostage. <gasps> right? Yeah, or captive. Maybe captive is the word. Because it's not necessarily always hostage scenarios. People aren't asking for things. I
1: think captive is a good
0: way. Held captive. Yeah, the pod is held captive, right? So this is us tied up against our Will movies uh, in remote locations. So we're going to be doing that. But starting next month, right, next week, we're going to be dropping minimum of two episodes a week, right? Every Tuesday and every Thursday, we'll have a new movie uh, per our normal monthly themes. We're going to do a double theme next month. So not only are we doing The Pod is Held Captive, right, with movies like, let's say, Black Snake Moan, uh, Misery, this, that, and the other. We will also be doing The Pod is a Madman, right, which is going to be kind of serial killers, right? I really wanted to discuss Peeping Tom and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. So these are movies that put us in the POV of a a despicable being, right, a madman, a killer, whatever. So we're doing a double theme. I have some double features I'm lining up. We're going to have a lot of content coming for you guys. Uh, we hope that's okay with you. Uh we have a lot of time on our hands and that's we're watching right. a lot of movies to try to stay happy and uh, you know, chipper during this this moment in time. So, you know, hopefully you guys will want to do that with us. But that's without right. further ado, Man Bun Child. and
1: Flippy Hair. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> is that is that what we're renaming it? Man Bun and Flippy Hair? How dare you, sir? How dare you, Mac Lamore? <laughs> On the show, the Golden Child. Uh, yes. I think we can all agree up front: easily the greatest Eddie Murphy vehicle, <laughs> uh, probably the best detected movie of all time. Uh, Alex, yeah. had you seen the Golden Child previous to this viewing? Yeah, I had actually. Uh, I saw. It. Walk me through your thoughts rewatching this epic classic.
1: I had seen it a long time ago on TV when I was a kid. Um, it was. It's one of those movies where you watch it and like. The '80s, especially late '80s, are great. Like Eddie Murphy was like Eddie Murphy. Like that was the like every single one of his movies made money. He actually said that in an interview about the Golden Child because he, mm-hmm. by the way, in like 1999, he was talking about this and he said how much he fucking hated this movie. He's like <laughs> he was like this like the Golden Child, which is a total piece of shit, made money. It's made a lot of money, but yeah, like it should have. I kind of disagree with him. Like I I I remember making fun of this on the show. Here's the thing. I actually was thinking a completely different movie.
0: <laughs> you were thinking of a different Eddie Murphy chasing down an Eastern child? It, it was a different... Uh, I was thinking
1: of a different movie that he had referenced. Uh, but rewatching this, I don't understand why he... I understand basically this movie changed a lot from script to screen, as things do. Right. But... <laughs> <laughs> this movie is still really good. Like it's fun, man. Yeah. What's the pro- I don't understand what anybody else's problem? Like Charles Dance hated it too, apparently. But again, like this movie's That's fun. Crazy. It's a great it's a great detective movie. Like it's a great detective movie.
0: Yeah. Well this is the funny thing. i when we first conceived this show now almost two years ago now, I think. Two years ago? I guess. This three? was one of the ten movies I had on the list of This Is Why I Wanna Start the Podcast. Right. Right? Because our other show, The Long Box Sessions, we're like, that's mostly comic related things. And we discuss a lot of movie and TV, but as it pertains to comics. And I was like, man, I really just want to talk about The Golden Child. (laughs) And so it took us a long time, but we finally got there (laughs) from that original list of movies. I saw Golden Child young, man. I, I was a kid and I got hit with like a nasty, nasty case of chicken pox. I was really fucking sick and laid up, and my mom worked. She had. Uh, you know, to still use the babysitter, right? And our babysitter was just a lady who had like a normal house that like people would throw their kids in, right? Yeah, yeah. Like nowadays, I have a kid and everything's like a highly regulated, like you know, thumbprint entry. Yeah, that's a really went, yeah.
1: that's a really specific Midwest thing because like I went to those houses too. Like when my yeah. mom, worked, and I don't
0: know, but- yeah, maybe they don't do that anymore. Maybe there is still, but yeah, they would just drop us off at a local lady's house. She's just like, absolutely, I'm the babysitter. Now I stay home and you know you pay me. Some money, and I'll watch your kids. It one, it was, so that's it what we did, Alex right? There me? were like, yeah, there were like twenty of us though in this normal house. Yeah, like way too many kids probably for one lady to
1: watch. Absolutely.
0: But I got really sick, and if you got sick, you were sent into quarantine, which was essentially, I slept in this lady's bed, <laughs> so, like, the bed that her and her husband shared, right? And I remember it was kind of like this classic midwestern like old person's room from that era, right? right. This would have been in the 80s, I believe. Okay, so. Yeah, this kind of like floral thing, but like there's a chair, but it was covered in plastic. And you guys can imagine the room. Disgusting wallpaper that was peeling. Probably a lot of wood. They had this little little bit of wood wood
1: accents, something like that.
0: Could you imagine that dude coming home and he's like, You let that little chicken pox fucker (laughs) sleep in my bed? Especially what we're dealing with now. You're like, The disgustingness of this house must have been (laughs) even more than my brain can remember. So we're sitting there and i slept i had to be in this room i think i was in it for three days four days something like that and she's like you can i was like what can i do she's like watch tv i was like okay she didn't have tv though she had a vhs and there were two movies and it was the golden child and karate kid wow and so i watched karate kid once and went meh and i watched (laughs) the golden child on repeat for three to four days in a row for like eight hours a day. I would just sit and rewatch golden child over and over again. And I think it's funny. If you track my life backwards, I think you can see the roots of all the stuff I like in movies exist in this, you know, embryo form in golden child. Right. I mean,
1: I would say furthermore, (laughs) your general conceit of movies lies in the decision of karate kid. Meh. All on, right.
0: a beloved classic of the 80s i'm like i guess that's all right <laughs> i just wanted johnny to get his face rearranged that's just me. <laughs> but yeah i looked back and i was like you could argue right because i know everyone has their movies right right and so like for me i remember when i was a really little kid the first movie i was ever madly in love with was abbott and costello's jack and the beanstalk right loved it watched it all the fucking time right And I remember going to the theater, right? Way too young, probably, but my dad took me to see Jurassic Park, and that's you're like, holy fuck, that changed my entire world. And I was like, I don't know what it is, I want to make movies. I don't know how or what how to do any of that, but I want to do what's on that screen, right? Right. Then you get Mallrats, the VHS, the teen. You're like, I want to make that movie, and so like everyone has their like movies, right? right? Your movie journey. And I think if you look back among all the movies, I think this is the one I forget. This so defined the taste that I would have for the rest of my life <laughs> is The Golden Child. And what I love about this movie, because I know everyone has been kind of taking shots at me, because I said, I think this is the best Eddie Murphy detective movie. And I'll tell you why. I think this movie, and again, I understand it's a bit clunkier than people probably want it to be, right? There are some definite things that don't. It, it's not a completely flowing machine at all times. There, there are some chunky beats, right? Sure. Fine. I love seeing Eddie Murphy – this is the most human of the Eddie Murphy detectives, right? Because every other character, it's – I'm Eddie Murphy just playing a guy who's, you know, whether it's Axel Foley or – I forget the character name in 48 Hours, right? Right. That guy's a criminal who gets out and, like, they're starting. But this is a guy who has real ties to some very serious, heavy things coming on. Yeah. Right? He's trying to save kids. We never quite know if he's a detective or just a PI. I think he's just a PI. Well, I
1: think that's, like, the Uh, most – that's the most relevant thing is about Eddie Murphy's character in general is that he is like specifically a person who seeks missing children. Like that's not right. Any and they give us context
0: clues he that he, he seemingly has lost a couple before we see the case actually of Cheryl kind of gets washed aside in this movie. Yeah. It's a truly d- disturbing gut punch in this movie. Right. Yeah. And so I think if you give him that context, right of here's Eddie Murphy, right. This great comedic force that we all know. And then you put the Eddie Murphy persona onto a guy who is struggling so mightily against this world where these innocent children get destroyed. His comedic persona takes on an extra interesting dramatic layer to me. Oh, yeah. And I know people think I'm full of shit, but I really honestly believe it. No, no. I find him fascinating in this movie. And then later there's a scene where I was like whoa, this is getting into psychosis level that's very fascinating. Well,
1: I mean, if you think about it, and this <laughs> is like the bigger... I, I agree with that assumption, by the way. But because humor, like, we do it all the time. Humor is a deflection. Like, we constantly... we, I, You and I constantly crack jokes. Just before the show, we were literally talking about what's going on in the world, literally trying to just make each other laugh for the sake of not sobbing in the middle of this show itself. <laughs> like... That, I think, is the most human – see, I just wiped my face, too. That's, like, the most human element of Eddie Murphy's character is that humor is not, like, what defines the character itself, but, like, really it's the diffusion of, holy shit, this is (laughs) – I have to take what I do so seriously, like, I have to find something entertaining in it.
0: Right, well, imagine this, too, right? So we see the absurdity of him, like, trying to walk around and put up the flyers. You get this great scene at the start where Eddie Murphy is just kink shaming this guy. In a He's like, kick on butts. It's kick on butts. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I was like, hey, man, first off, let's not kink shame. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> there. There are so many things that we can do with the human body. You got to let people out. Right. Yeah, man. But you see him trying and trying and trying. Right. Going through L.A., setting up the montage of like art and people, whatever. Right. When he goes on that TV show, it's a classically great Eddie Murphy moment. Right. This kind of character who's so much smart. He almost sees behind the curtain, right? Yeah. Which, again, we'll get to later. And he's sitting here with these fucking rubes who want to talk about whatever. The guy keeps cutting him off about how important it is without letting him say the message. Right. And this scene, to me, is so great because it's Eddie Murphy doing his amazing... And this is not Eddie Murphy having to do the... You know, and like, all the jokes. The way he looks at Mel... I think his name's Mel, right? (laughs) It's so fucking hilarious. And he's just eviscerating him, right, with his eyes. And it's comedy gold. But at the end of it, he's like, hey, fucking stop. There's a girl missing, right? And so we track this guy, Eddie Murphy, right, his character, walking through the streets of L.A., finding out that this girl got caught up with bikers. They tattooed her, and they fucking sold her for a carton of smokes and some pork fried rice. They sold this girl into what would become her death right right this movie takes a very oh, hard yeah. and dark turn it's right away because we think this is the. it starts off right with this kind of cool here's a child you know he only brings back one of the three birds why i don't know he should probably have brought them all back it <laughs> doesn't matter right bad guys come in right it's tywin lannister classic bad guy setup. Yeah. right they've got the different stereotypes You're like all right some kung fu fighting right we got martial arts fighting with monks. You're like, this movie's great they use the claw game to capture him. You're like, yes, I'm 100% in for what this movie is, right? Right. This kind of fantasy journey through Eastern mysticism through the lens of modern-day 80s Los Angeles, right. right? It's a classic tale, right? The past versus the present, their old traditions. We don't believe – we know everything, right? We're on the cutting edge. No, there's a deep well of horror out there. <laughs> Fine. That's the movie you think you're getting. The story right. with Cheryl, to me, is such – the important linchpin of the movie that, again, we just we just kind of wash it away. Because, and this is the fucked up thing, the story's even doing it, where they're just like, oh, Cheryl was simply to be ingredients in oatmeal. Right? Like, they, they downplay her so much that, again, it's reinforcing this terrifying world that Eddie Murphy's character faces throughout the movie. Right. They matter a lot to him. Yeah. And seemingly zero to anyone else.
1: Well, yeah, Cheryl, yeah, it's such a fascinating, it's such an interesting thing to watch. Like, he's so, Eddie Murphy turns on a dime so often in this movie, too. Like, it becomes very, serious. like, that scene, like, at the end of that fight scene where he does confront that guy about, like, what they did with the girl. Like, that yeah. is, like, that's some heavy shit. And also, like, right after. A, and he, nailed, he
0: actually just looks at him and has to say, you sold her?
1: Yeah. Right after, like, a really weird fight scene where, like, it was fun, but it's also, like, intercut with, like, a heavy metal uh, music video for some reason that everyone is, like, (laughs) totally focused on watching. Like, I cannot conceive of why this is so important, but everyone else is just, like, watching a music video. Eddie Murphy is so, uh, Eddie Murphy's so good because he turns on a dime so quickly and goes back and forth between humor and humor and drama. This is why he's a great actor. And this is why he's so good, particularly in the eighties when he became so famous, because he can do that turn. It's something we look for now. in a lot of comedic actors like Adam Sandler does it a lot where these guys can play both sides of the coin. But this one is particularly interesting because he has to do three different things, which is be a serious detective, be a comedian. And then on top of that, be an action star. So, yeah, he's got a lot going on. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. And that scene in the house of the yellow dragons is extra unusual, too, (laughs) because not only do they just like they're I get it. You're bikers. But like you would rather sit on a motorcycle than a couch. Like there's a lot of weird things happening in this house. Right. Right. (laughs) The weirdest of being is like as we're tying her up and we're about to learn that this innocent teenage girl was sold simply because they needed blood. Yeah. Right. God. It's, it's extra vile because you're like, they could have just caught any old person whatever they whatever. It had to be her, right? Right. And it's just extra, you know, tragedy that we must suffer as an audience. But then they just intercut it with uh, his sidekick lady, right? Uh, Cynthia Lewis. Is that the actress's name? I think so, yeah. Anywho, she comes in and starts whooping ass, right? <laughs> it's so strange. awesome. Because they're like, in the middle of the ass whooping, we need just an extra long hold take of her doing a monkey bar cling with the wet t-shirt contest I mean, and then there's just three or four gratuitous like wet t-shirt moments yeah and i think that's what the wet t-shirt i think that's thing the weird element of this movie weird. is that there is this really cool true detective style dark tragedy happening right yeah. where you have kind of the world of ancient mysticism meets you know how easily they can prey on the you know underbelly of modern the modern day world right right that as everything's moving forward in a big city, we become more expendable, right? Right. That we are valued less as humans, right? I think that's a really cool story. And then they're just like, oh, we need wet t shirt moments. Or really strange moments of like Eddie Murphy holding the family up for a chip, right? Right. But that moment I actually think is really interesting, right? That's just a funny moment like playing on everyone thinks Eddie Murphy's a bad guy. Well, I mean, like this movie. But yeah, the wet t shirt moment, that's where this movie gets a little clunky. Well, you're like, you don't need some of that kind of stuff. Right. But Eddie Murphy's performance in that scene is just he's he's amazing. He is beating that guy's ass and trying to get the end. I mean, I
1: think a lot of that was
0: that's that first Eddie Murphy I saw. And I don't maybe I don't remember the others as well because I haven't seen them as often. Right. But I like that that dichotomy of this movie so much. I think
1: what's great. I think what happens in this movie and like as we go further into it, like the thing that's so wonderful is that what you get to see is a movie that probably originally was really taken very, like this movie beca- like comes out as like sort of like a partial, like sort of a comedy, a little bit of drama, a lot of action. It's basically an action adventure comedy. What I think you can see though, is at the start, like there, I read a lot about like how this movie was made and this thing got like savaged after uh preview yeah. screenings. Like the Paramount took it back and like redid the whole thing. And, this was like after he had already been in uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, I think. I think this was a year after Beverly Hills Cop. Like this originally had like a John Williams score, and or Alan Silvestri score or something like that. And literally, they like threw it out and added this, added the funky like what we got, you know. Like this movie, I think probably <laughs> is a very different movie. Like George Miller was supposed to direct this. Fucking Mad Max, George you Miller.
0: Imagine.
1: I mean, could
0: you? But that's what I mean, right? This story, to me, needs to play in that kind of arena. Totally. And what I think what it suffers is, again, it makes total sense that they pull it back and they're like, we want this to be exactly like Beverly Hills Cop. Right. And you're like, but this one has this extra layers that you have to explore, right? Right. There's a dead teenager, right? We are following a child detective who sees another child dead. Right. Right? Probably someone he knows a little bit. We see him playing basketball with children. so. Somehow he's a children PI that also helps the community with children. So him having to deal with her simply being sold to become blood and oatmeal, that's a lot extra from the other movies to me, right? Oh, yeah, Not to mention, now you're taking a man who sees these kind of tragedies seemingly more often than he would like, trying to use humor as a shield, but now staring down the barrel of (laughs) not only do I have this insane – Very human tragedy, right? Right. The fact that we are not valued as lives. Now I'm standing on the edge of the abyss into there's also this actual world of mysticism, right? There's an actual hell and demons and monsters. And there's this whole other world of tragedies happening that I don't comprehend. So this is a guy who's just so charming and funny, walking the razor's edge between all of these terrifying realities. And so... To bring it back and give it, yeah, the sense score and the Beverly Hills Cop vibe is not where I think this movie should have lived.
1: No, I don't think so either. I mean, like, the thing that I like the most about Eddie Murphy's character in this movie is, honestly, he does such a good job playing up the, like, uh, Sam Spade, Raymond Chandler, uh, you know, Philip Marlowe kind of thing because he's constantly the cynic. Like, there's never a time where he fully buys into this until, like, maybe, like, at the very end when he finally can. But like literally almost the entire movie, he thinks this is all bullshit. Like even like when they're in like Kathmandu and they're or in Nepal and they're it's literally freezing out and he's like on the yak and they're trying to get through. Like that's the kind of shit you're like, this should be really <laughs> hacky. And in any other movie yeah, with any other like actor, or comedian, because like I was reading like apparently Mel Gibson was supposed to
0: be this guy. So like. Really, any see that that makes sense to me. Like, Mel Gibson, <laughs> that's the problem, though. The studios didn't want this great fantasy story, they wanted that police procedural. Well, he and that's hard when you put the cop on a yak, right?
1: So, <laughs> like, that's supposed to be Mel Gibson. Lot. He turned it down and then they hired Eddie Murphy. So, like, what you're doing is reflavoring the movie with Eddie Murphy stuff. Like, Eddie Murphy could be serious, though. We've seen him do it, he's yeah. very good. So, like, yeah granted like he's really good at doing the thing that he does but there's a lot of like beverly hills copness in this that for me is out of place because like again you're right like the supernatural is such a huge part of this movie it's not just police procedural so and that's like the benefit of detective stories in general is like they don't have to follow police procedure that's like the best part of the whole thing is they're outside the law a little bit,
0: you know? Yeah, well, like, imagine just the concept. Uh, Like, imagine the movie Seven, right? If halfway through the movie they took a detour to Florida I mean, to, like, try to find John Doe's, like, you know, high school yearbook. <laughs> like, it's very strange. Right. When this movie goes to Kathmandu, you're like, that feels wrong. Right. But it offers you some really good fish-out-of-water stuff, again, for this detective that's, right, you know, really caught into this enormous thing. Like, the scene in Kathmandu— <laughs> the, Obviously, the $100, right, is funny. So great. And this, But this is a guy who's so caught between these great tragedies, he's really focused on that 100 bucks. Yeah. Right? Like, how much did he just spend to get over there and all this? <laughs> but He's like, is there a little naked man running around my $100? I'm going to beat his ass. And he spends the next, like, three minutes of traveling montage just doing I'm going to whoop that guy's ass jokes. And then he gets into the temple. He's doing the please, man. That's the best. And it's just great. But this is the moment in the movie where imagine Eddie Murphy, right? He goes into that chasm. Gerald, his name's Gerald, right? Yeah. He goes into that chasm and they're like, don't spill the water. Keep walking. That scene is so funny to me. One, because it's such an interesting game to make up, right? Like he's walking balancing, but the addition of he can't spill a drop of water. I was like, that's, that's a weird, like that screenwriter had some kind of past thing that he was like really channeling. <laughs> like it's, it's a weird game, right? If it was George Miller, it would have been don't spill a drop of breast milk. I'm sure.
1: Right. Right. Of course.
0: Much more understandable. <laughs> the apocalypse is coming. Don't waste the milk. But but for Gerald and Eddie Murphy to still buy in. Right? Why yeah. does why does he complete that mission? That's the funny part, because all we've seen is him seemingly not accepting this, right. but he's still going forward. And to me what that says is he totally buys into what's happening. He has much earlier in the movie, he can't admit it to himself. I think that's right? what it is, yeah. Because he's that- fucking terrified.
1: I mean, that's, like, a classic – that's also a classic detective trope as well is just, like, getting – like, you sit there constantly looking – like, I've I've done this with a lot of detective movies and film noir is you look at these guys who are, like, continuously going forward, like, the fuck are you doing? Like, A, yeah. you're putting yourself in danger. B, you don't even believe in this shit. C, why would it matter? Like, it's the whole thing. Like, it's the whole point of the story is, like, to push it beyond – to push a character beyond their bounds. So – to do it here in this context is actually I think a lot more entertaining and a lot more interesting.
0: Well like Yeah, and this is why it's crazy, right? It's 'cause you're like you can have like a classic noir detective who's like, Oh boy, I might get a suck in the old jaw if I jump into the, the widow's right. house, you know. But also I might bang the widow. So that makes sense. You know, it's a five mile cab ride, whatever. This is you have to get on a plane and go to Canada. Right, do, it's so much more this, important. This alternate dimension room where there's no floor and a mystical fire and a de- he's still trying to hold on, right? So it's it's so much stranger than just the. Well, I might get in trouble if I go to the black tie affair where I clearly don't fit in because I reek of gin and I've never owned a suit, you know. <laughs> but I might get a bang tail feathers with the you know the old widow. That is a lot more understandable than he's going. The journey he takes is so much more involved that it shows you that he is really scared, right? And again, he keeps saying he's not on the case, right? But this is the ultimate case for him, right? This is the golden child, the one that he has to save to save all the others, right? It can make up for the Cheryls of the world. So I think he actually buys in a lot. Earlier than we think in the movie.
1: Oh yeah. I mean like he clearly buys in from the jump. Like I think he buys in from the fight in the warehouse with the heavy metal band. Like that is like that to me is the like that's the jumping off point specifically because like he finds out what happens to Cheryl like that and he realizes he doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't want this to happen to anybody again like that I think is like the best like call to adventure in a lot of these in a lot of movies we've seen like yeah. All the other detective stories we've watched like The Call to Adventure has been very muddy. Like even in Brick, which is so clearly a by the numbers detective story, pretty unnecessary like when you think about it. Because really the story of what happened to Emily ends within 15 minutes of the movie. This is like the
0: first well, I mean, time- you could argue it's over in the very first scene. Right? <laughs> like we know it. Right. I know what happened. I'm good. <laughs>
1: This, though, is, like, the first time in these movies, like, we've watched this month that he's at, like, there's been an actual call to adventure. Like, yeah, he, like, a, the, the story that he technically was on ends. So, yeah. what's next? So, really. I
0: think I know when it happens, though, right? Like, see if, see if this clicks in your brain. So, he goes to the crime scene, right? right. And he sees a dead child. That's horrific enough. But now there's this extra stuff, right? These runes on the wall and whatever. He's like, what the fuck? The blood and the oatmeal, there's something extra repulsive about it. Right. And I think in a way, the extra evidence and repulsiveness of it gives him a shield against the truly most horrific thing is not bloody oatmeal and blood on the wall. It's that there's a dead teenager out there, right? Right. That's the most disgusting thing. So I think he's those become a little bit of a shield for him to try to keep it together, right, as he's moving forward with this, fuck, I failed, there's a dead kid, you know. He might know their parents, right? Surely he's questioned the mother, the parents. He's going to have to tell them what happened. Right. Uh, or maybe she had no one and he was the last straw, right? So now he's facing the, the emptiness of that. He goes to the diner and meets up with the lady who already interrupted the basketball game with, you're the chosen one. There's a golden child. Magic, magic, you know, come with me. Right, right. And he's like, what? You know, right. he can't accept it. The moment I think he buys in, right, is he still like, this is fucking ridiculous. I'm wasting time talking to you. You were at the crime scene. Maybe you think she's a part of it, right? Right. Because she showed up at the crime scene, strangely enough. When he asked her about the bloody oatmeal, and she says, I don't know. I think that's when he allows himself to buy in. Okay. Because now she's not some merchant of, you know, some kind of bullshit prophecy. Right. I have all the answers. Follow me. She's another person who is struggling to deal with the enormity of tragedy in this world, trying to do her best. And I think in that moment, he's allowed to bond with
1: her. Okay, I can buy that. I because think that's she a good, says she
0: doesn't have all the answers.
1: But again, that's a really good call to adventure. Like, not having the answers and in search of the answers yeah. is what we're looking for. I, I'm with you on that. That works, yeah.
0: yeah. Instead of being like the sage mentor who's like, come with me, eat this root, do this, I know everything. She also is just a person who needs help, right. man. They both want to save a kid and don't know how to do it right. without the other. I mean, I think so. I think I think perfect. that's the the cool bonding moment for their. I think that's when he buys in, because right after that they take him to see, uh, the dragon snake lady. Right. With and I think at that point, because that's where you could say maybe he buys in there, or he's like these fucking criminal. I think it's the her her admitting she's not like the know it all. Right. But yeah, that moment he's still kind of playing. He's still cracking wise. <laughs> I love it. he's like, hey, what's your schedule look like? Cause that silhouette is rock. <laughs> Because to be fair, who among us wouldn't see a woman who was like half dragon and also be like, I think I have to know. <laughs> I think do you at least have like a fans only account. Like, I mean, I
1: have to know. That's a good point. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I'd have to, have to know.
0: You have to know. I had a friend once who used to be like, if there were aliens that came down, would you fuck one? And I was like, wow, OK, we're just skipping like so much like global <laughs> geopolitics. Right. And science and biology. There's so many steps we're skipping from. We find out there's life in the universe besides us, too. Would you put your dick in it, right? This enormous chasm of questions we won't answer. Let's get to the important part. And the answer is, yes, if you were the first one who could have sex with an alien species, of course you would do that.
1: Right. Much like Gerald. But it's the
0: great unknown, right? Much like same, Gerald. Of we course are stepping, you We have to, to step
1: into the great unknown. That's the whole point. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: exactly. Right? You can't fight the darkness if you're standing on the top of the well. You got to dive in. You got to dive in, man. That's
1: part of the deal.
0: Yeah, so I thought that was great, man. Now, the scene I really want to discuss with you this is where I think this movie is next level great to me. And this is where I think you can see the roots of what this movie was supposed to be. This movie has. So I'm, I'm talking, of course, about the dream sequence, right? Oh, yeah, I love that. Where Tywin Lannister somehow and his cronies invade. A dream world. I believe it's Eddie Murphy's dream. Right? Yeah. Because there is a question of where he's teleported to. I think it's Eddie Murphy's headspace, right? So if you break down, I was kind of, I watched this scene like three or four times. I was like, man, this is like some fucking low-rent David Lynch bullshit. Because eventually you see the white steed, right? Right. And I was like, all right, that's just classic dream shit, right, to let us know it's a dream. Right. And then him and Tywin start doing their, you know, hey, we're, we're doing this. The part that fucking trips me up, though. So he's doing the devil may care, joking about, right? Every time he cracks wise, there's an audience of old white people clapping and laughing. And an applause sign goes on. Right. This, to me, is Eddie Murphy screaming to us (laughs) to please understand the psychosis he must face every single day. That scene was bone chilling to me.
1: I mean, in that respect, yes. Otherwise, it's just kind of weird. But like-
0: imagine Eddie, every Eddie Murphy movie and character, right? Walking around, right? You know, chucking it up. Right. Fighting the powers that be, right? He's kind of always got that cool, like, he's the outsider and he's fighting his way, you know, against people that don't want him there, right? Like, famous, like, country club scene and this and that. Right. There are all these moments, right? See, my dog agrees. He's furious. He's having his own dream. But <laughs> there are all these moments like that. Now, imagine in every one of those Eddie Murphy movies, right? Take Beverly Hills Cops. Every time he cracks wise, there's an audience of old white people clapping and cheering him on in his head. Right. Terrifying. Yes. This is a man who's so psychologically broken that he has invented his own studio audience. And, of course, is all old Midwestern white people, it looks like, to cheer him on. As he spits in the face of those being in his way. Okay, walk me through it. Walk me through it, Alex.
1: Break this well, down with me. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking through this. I didn't really. I didn't really overly analyze that scene, short of it being a dream sequence, because it does have a David Lynchian thing to it.
0: But that's the thing. Dreams always have a hidden meaning. This is a shocking admission by Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I think he probably wrote this scene himself, and he's like, "Put this in. These people need to know what I suffer."
1: <laughs> I think that. I well, as a meta dream, yes, you could probably make the case. I would say that would make sense if I thought, a, I believe this is the last time Eddie Murphy worked on a movie where he did not write anything. Uh, yeah. But if you're thinking of it in this context, yes, uh, metaphorically, this works as Eddie Murphy sort of playing to the Eddie murphy of it all and saying like, I am famous. I hate being famous. I just want to be taken seriously. And this is the kind of shit that happens sometimes. Like he's right. always, but all- even
0: the Eddie murphy of it is shocking, right? right? Take it back down to Gerald. If you take it back down this to is Gerald, guy, the thing is, it's extra scary to me. If you take it back down to Gerald,
1: if you take it back down to Gerald, to me, what it ends up being is much more about, uh, it's much more about the containment he has to do as his profession. Like you think about like Yes. Like, yes, exactly. If you're not a police officer, like if you're not bound by the structure of law, but particularly if your like main focus as a PI or a detective is finding lost children, I feel like for me personally, I'd be a fucking monster and I wouldn't like I'd have like no scruples. Like if I was like constantly looking the for the first li-
0: time you see a dead child and you're like, I could have maybe it. helped and you did it. That's it. You're done. Yeah, you're like, broken forever. Like
1: that's like, that's the line. Like it's like, that's like the Batman line we always talk about. Like that's the line yeah. that gets crossed. I'm like, I'm done. All right. Everyone's dead. I don't Fuck give a you. shit. <laughs> like, that's sort of like, that's what it right. is. So maybe this is the construct he has to put in his mind. This is what everyone expects of him. So when Sardo and the other dudes show up in his dream, they're invading this construct and saying like, "What do you got?" And that's when he's like, "Cool, we're done." Like, I'm 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 stepping over this line and I'm gonna take care of business. That might be see, actually your I don't, your I don't accept
0: that though. I think his mind is always like this, and this it's a twofold thing that I think is so crazy. And why I love this scene is one he his constant joking mechanism, right? Right. Now you see kind of the the subconscious roots of it, right? Right. It's a defense mechanism for him, and his subconscious has created it to where it's a, you know, like a Pavlovian reward system where every time he tells a joke, his brain's like, yay, good quip. You know, Good when when he's having that big fight with his brother, ah, my brother shall, you know, reprimand me at the airport. Right. You're like, oh, that's just hilarious Eddie Murphy stuff, right? This charming guy who's so quick on his feet. Or is it this fucking broken man and inside his brain they're like, You got him that time, good for you. And that's his subliminal defense. Oh, it's now become this Pavlovian trauma. But the other part, why is that the audience? Yeah, I think why that's is the, the thing audience always... really old white people that look like they're vacationing.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that's super curious to me. Like the audience audience has
0: to that's, be that's who he thinks he's supposed to be. Oh wow. Are you making a, Are you making trying the case to be that, palatable? Are you making for that Are you making the Darth Vader
1: chasing Amy Case right now?
0: Refresh me. What the fuck is that and why do I not know what that is? Are you
1: saying that uh, deep down Eddie Murphy wants to be a white man? Is that...
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think deep down I think this goes back to the Mel show at the start of the movie where Mel is not hearing him. Right? Okay. And not letting people hear him. I think there's a version of Eddie Murphy subconsciously or Gerald subconsciously crafting himself into the person that the general population. Right. Right. America in the 80s. Right. Old, overweight, Midwestern white people would (laughs) not only listen to, but applaud. Right. Right. I think that's why that's his audience. Right. Okay. Do you imagine that Gerald in his time off? Right. We see him playing basketball with a bunch of kids. Right. That's the only, like, free time activity we see is that he's hanging out with kids, you know. Maybe he's a counselor helping him out, something like that. Do you think the audience in his mind is who he spends his time with? Are those his peers and compatriots? I don't think so. No. I so mean, why is that the audience that he is craving?
1: I think it's because he's I, I think he's from. a loner, for one, because he's a detective. He's a loner, for sure.
0: Everyone who deals with serious shit, like, like you can't do the job that Gerald does in this movie and then talk to some guy who works at State Farm talking about how they don't get the right coffee anymore. Yeah, you can't just have Your friends. your job stakes don't match up. You can't have that talk.
1: Right. I think in that regard the audience is much closer to you being I wouldn't say necessarily Gerald's like I think it's less about like Gerald what Gerald wants to be, like who he wants to be so to speak, and more about more about
0: Gerald but Look at look at the feeding system, right? So Gerald cracks a joke right in a tense situation his brain filters that down into he has told the joke and now this audience of not his peers right these old white vacationers are applauding him right the sign even comes on right so gerald is not only the star of his own movie he's the director of the dream who's saying audience applaud forcing them to applaud him right that's see
1: yeah okay
0: that's begging for approval from that audience to me,
1: right? I mean, I think that he's. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's I a think scary in general, trauma. It's well, psychosis. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think he's absolutely seeking approval from just. I think he's seeking approval from like. I think he's seeking approval from deep inside himself for, like Cheryl's a great example. Like he missed that. Like he right. did not save that girl, so but the maybe,
0: audience is not a bunch of Gerald's forgiving him, right,
1: so in applauding that's what it is is like deep down he's trying to forgive himself, and that's like, okay, here's what it is he's because that's down.
0: Mel's audience out there,
1: right he's trying well, he's trying to forgive himself. the reason yes. it's canned laughter and canned applause like that, Ooh, though yeah, is because rough. it's false. Yeah. He cannot accept it. So that's why he did. That's the true call to adventure. Oh,
0: He's, nice. Okay. I'm with you now. I like he this. He is trying like to this.
1: forgive himself. This canned false applause is not going to give it to him. So that's why he truly takes the case. That's why he goes out because, and that's why he submits to this weird supernatural world because he knows deep down, this is how he rectifies his past mistakes. That fascinated. That is the tree. that's like, what I
0: mean. That is a yeah. really interesting way to show us on screen yep. the trauma that someone like him suffers. Totally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: those weird, the weird elements of this movie, those extra kind of long, out-on-the-branch moments, yeah. that's what makes this movie more interesting to me than his other detective stuff, right? right. And again, I don't think this movie is as streamlined and as good as the other two, right? I think the other two are much firmer, well-oiled machines, right? Sure. But I think Eddie Mur- what Eddie Murphy does so spectacularly, right, his enormous charisma and comedy, but also those moments where you can see he's a man about to break, I think that really works better in this setting. Yeah. I think Eddie Murphy in that moment with the audience, I think that's the kind of really strange psychological moment that I like. Right. Of course, at the end, when they start breaking into – demons and the kid can create his own little meal but he only eats leaves which is like hey man make a better food I don't know (laughs) right like I like all the mysticism stuff that is just geared right at me that's how I like to watch my stories. Right. right the more mysticism and demons and whatever the better sure but I think I do think that this movie and again I'm sure there are better versions of this movie out there that could have existed and whatever we didn't get those I think the movie we got is still a splendid example of adding on some genre genre tropes right. to kind of deepen this this story to me i i don't yeah. know i like the the weirder elements no, i think the- and i think it makes eddie murphy's performance something that you can get a lot more out of
1: well i think the weird elements deepen and sort of enrich the experience of what we would you normally like Think about this. If there was no supernatural elements to it at all, it'd just be like him traveling the world. Then essentially it's like a bad, it's like a more boring version of Indiana Jones, but like with Beverly (laughs) Hills cop, like it doesn't quite work. Like the mysticism and the supernatural elements make this its own movie. And not only that, like with an actor like Eddie Murphy facing them who like by nature, we assume comedians are cynical. Like, I mean, you know, that's, you work in comedy, you know, like it's, it's, it's assumed that the people like comedians are cynical. That's how they come up with a lot of great bits. So like, to me, when you approach that, when you approach the supernatural with that level of understanding and that level of uh, thought process, what you're doing is not only are you getting a great, like automatic straight man for a great, for a scene, but you're also creating this whole other world within the genre you're trying to like, it is a detective story, but the supernatural elements just make the detective story that much more interesting rather than like yeah. stray us off the uh, path of what the story actually is.
0: Yeah. Well, like, I mean, this could just be me. I couldn't tell you what the actual case was. He was trying to solve in 48 hours. <laughs> or a Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. I don't remember. No. Like I remember Axel, Axel Foley is hilarious. And I remember him and Nick Nolte were a great duo in it at 48 hours, but like, I don't know what the fuck they were solving. Right. I don't know what the case was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's the problem with a lot of police procedurals and this and that, like diehard. I remember exactly what he was doing. Right. Terrorist in a building. He's got to stop him. It felt weird and right. different to me. Uh, what are other great action franchise? Like, I don't know the stories of half. I mean, I could tell you,
1: I know what, I mean, Beverly Hills cop. He's literally just trying to find out who killed his friend. Cool. Easy.
0: Is that all it is?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: All right, well, that's fine. That's fine. But that's what I mean. It's like... But golden, that's it. When you say golden child, I remember exactly what the fuck doing. <laughs> <Right? getting. laughs> I remember the case because it it's like, we got to save little um, cave-dwelling Jesus, <laughs> right, so he can save all the children. Right. And also, we learned there was a slew of other dead golden children and other knives. There's like a whole set. Yeah. This is like... This was that's like- why we live in the mean world of today is because he's compassion, but the... Golden child before him was justice that got murdered.
1: Yeah, this was like uh, which
0: also weighs heavy on the Cheryl ooh, note. Of that's the story. good. Yeah. Oh wow. wow, deepness.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean this right. movie just has. If you watch it for what it is, it's very entertaining. But this movie has yeah. a lot of great layers to it that I don't think. Yeah. Get, I don't think get explored enough.
0: Sure. Well, this is the thing. I actually watched it yesterday, getting prepared, right? Because. We don't have daycare access anymore because of what's happening. Right. My wife is a healthcare professional, so she's still working. Uh, I'm just staying at home with the kids. And I was like, I got to get this watched right. so we can talk about it. Right. And I watched it with my kids, right? My five-year-old and my two-year-old. And they loved it just because it's this kind of fantastic adventure, right? right? My kid is almost probably the exact same age I was when I watched it. And he loved it like that. This is the first time I had watched it in many, many years. And I found this whole other kind of despair subplot that really meant a lot to me <laughs> right I really I really was touched by what was happening and the struggles that this guy would face because once you're an adult for a while you're like man doesn't it all feel like helpless nonsense and violence on one side and then this deep abyss of things I don't understand on the other like right. isn't that exactly what being an adult is <laughs> so I don't know I felt I felt a lot more uh kind of heartstring moments in it this time if you will i would agree with that i mean again
1: i've only i only saw it once when i was a kid but i definitely i definitely didn't remember it being that interesting and this was really a
0: fun Mm. watch i think it's a really good movie and i think again i think it's a a dark path to go down with movies where you start talking about different cuts and like what could have been and this and that like the movie we got might not be everyone's cup of tea but i think it's a wildly entertaining and interesting film it's wonderful and I think it's a fantastic case, right? We're not just tracking down dirty cops or random bad guys, whatever those other movies do. That's right. This is important. <laughs> this one mattered, right? Because every drop of water that gets lost in this movie is a dead kid. Ooh, wow. And that matters. And also, Tywin Lannister turning into a huge demon. Yeah, that was just. That was pretty fun. sweet.
1: Great creature that work, by fun. the way. Very fun.
0: I will say there is one wildly unanswered question, right? As I was waiting for the golden child to do the. Sometimes dead is better, right? So I was like, so that girl's just been dead no, for like...
1: No, that is at not this movie. Day?
0: Yeah, but I was like, so she's just gonna wake up with an arrow hole in her back, and they're just gonna get straight to the, the sex in their friend's mansion. Like, I was like, S- there's some things we should discuss. Like sometimes <laughs> dead is better, you know. Like <laughs> I wanted that scene. I, the golden child might have been setting him up for a lesson. We don't know. <laughs> Golden child. You can't just, yeah, everyone knows. This is alchemy, right? This is our show. You don't get something for nothing. Right. Well. There's something dead inside of her still. Believe that. Golden. Believe that. Golden
1: child, too. Take
0: that to the base. Cemetery. I don't care how golden this kid is. I'm not having sex with whoever's brought back. (laughs) Not happening. (laughs) Right? Okay. That's it, guys, for the golden child. That's it for the pod takes the case. I know there are enormous amounts of other awesome Uh, Detective Private Eye movies, and we will someday revisit this theme, I'm sure of it. Uh, Guys, that's it for now. Remember, we have two themes coming to you next month. The pod is held captive, and the pod is a madman, right? So uh, we're going to be doing a lot of movies next month. Probably 10, I think, we have on the list. 8 to 10, plus some double features. Plus, you know, if we find some cool stuff uh, on demand. You never know. As is now the trend, uh, we might talk about that too. If there's stuff you guys want to see us talk about or hear us talk about, please reach out and let us know, man. Totally. We would love to do that for you. We're all home. Uh, Might you know, as well. Yeah, spread a little happiness in this uh, this day and age. Sprinkling uh, on. That's it, guys. Please leave us a rating and review. Please find us on social media. Please. Follow our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, plural with the S at the end. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffin. I am Alex D'Antino. Stay golden, pony child. Ha, ha, ha,